All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey, and I'm so excited to get started. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm going to do my little intro. Normally, I record the intro after, but since it's mom today, we have my therapist mom on the podcast. Normally, I don't like to talk, do the intro in front of the guest, you know, because then I get all weird and awkward and nervous. And then I'm like, let me just do it. And just in the safety of my closet by myself, but I'm safe with mom. That's the good thing. I am excited to have my mom on. We're going to try and do this once a month. You know, every time I make plans, I just, you know, then it just is too hard. (laughs) We play fast and loose with the plans, but we're going to try because mom is our mental health expert, therapist, resident mental health person. (laughs) <laughs> that's quite a that's quite a title. That's a fish <laughs> right there. And 
Yeah, she joins us on our Zoom meetings and she's going to host her own group. So we'll make sure to announce all of that stuff. We have a lot of fun and exciting things happening. BTS, mom, that means behind the scenes. Oh, right. Did you know that? I know BT, I know BT. Double. No, you don't. Wait, what's oh by the way. <laughs> you by even way. said you you even had to look up I know B T by the way. W. Uh, <laughs> so this is probably one of the most asked questions. It's a topic that comes up in our support groups all the time, almost every time in some form, right? Is what if my partner or spouse still drinks? And how is that going to affect my sobriety? Is it going to affect it? Should I let it affect it? All of that stuff. We, we can go down that rabbit hole very quickly. And not only how does it affect my sobriety, how does it affect my marriage or my relationship? Yeah, and how does yeah. – and do I even want to be sober then? If my partner is still going to drink, is it just, quote, unquote, easier to keep drinking? Because what will happen if I stop drinking and my partner doesn't? We're going to tackle that today. It's a big one. (laughs) It is a big one and so important. Yes. It is so important. And and I know why it comes up so often is because we're not talking about, you know, social life comes up a lot. Friends come up a lot. How how are my friends going to react? What should I say to people? When should I say it? This is so much deeper than that. This is someone that we have chosen to share and create a life with. It's so hard to separate our lives, right? We're we're taught that it's it's one journey, it's one path, it's one life. We are one, right? My husband and yeah. me. You can't just as with friends, you can say like, well, I guess they just really weren't that great a friend. And and so right. move on. You don't do that. Well, I no. guess he's not that great a husband. <laughs> I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> or like I need to take a break from these friends. <laughs> yeah. We can't take breaks <laughs> right. from our husbands. I mean, I guess we kind of can. We can hide in our closet, yeah. which I do a lot, but it's enmeshed. And so I guess I could start with how I have tackled it. And my husband was on the podcast pretty early on. I'll link that in the show notes, his episode, when he gets to talk about it. But when people ask, like, how did you think about your sobriety when you were first starting and if it was going to affect your marriage? I've really had to, like, go back to that day when I decided to just stop drinking. And every time I go back to it, I realized that he didn't factor into it, which is shocking to me. Mm-hmm. It's just shocking as a wife, as a mom who I, everyone comes first in the day-to-day tasks in my life. Yeah, all your decisions. Everything. If my husband wants tacos for dinner and I'm not really feeling it, I'm still making tacos just because that's what <laughs> – that's just how it goes, right? If I need to go to the doctor or my kids do, I'm making my kids appointment first and then I'll fit mine in. That's just the gig. But with my sobriety, which is the most important thing, he didn't factor into it. Well, and for your decision at that moment, it was a knee-jerk decision. You hadn't been thinking, I'll quit, I'll quit. And then I decided to quit. You just were sick sick and tired and missing out. And you just thought, fuck this, I'm done. Right. Which made it easier. There wasn't this hemming and hawing and what ifing and all of that. It was the deciding 
and then seeing if all the puzzle pieces would come together, not knowing what the hell the puzzle would even look like, or if it was a puzzle that I wanted to put together or any of that. I just decided, right. And so it made it easier in the fact of like, I didn't have to weigh these options. Right. Or figure out how you're going to do it. That's what you always talk about is like you decided and then you figured it out. Right. And part of the figuring it out then, while he didn't factor into my decision to try sobriety, to choose sobriety, he didn't factor into that. But then as the time went on, of course, we had bumps in the road and I did have to kind of figure out where he fit, how our journeys aligned, what it was going to look like. If you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, yeah, I, I need this because I know that I want to explore a life without alcohol, but my partner still drinks. And maybe your partner drinks heavily. Maybe you're thinking your partner is the one who, quote unquote, should quit. Right. We have all of these. We have all these opinions about others drink other people's drinking relationships. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea that our decision is our decision. And then f- once we take our eyes off what we want for ourselves, that's when it gets muddy and scary. And that's when we start questioning. And that's when the clarity that comes from I'm done gets imposed upon by looking at him or your partner. Right. And it's always the what ifs, right? Well, what if this affects my marriage negatively? What if I stop drinking and I outgrow my partner? What if we have nothing in common? I'll use he because that's my situation, but you can use partner, whatever. But, But what if he continues to drink more than I do and then I'm turned off? What if I'm no longer attracted to him because now the smell of alcohol repulses me? What if I set boundaries and he blows right through them? What if this isn't going to work? And by this, that could mean sobriety or by this, that could mean the marriage. Right. And as you always say, those what ifs and the hypotheticals, we, we don't know down the road. We just don't know. And deciding for how am I going to do this right now? And what are the boundaries I need? How do I protect my own sobriety? How do, how do I take care of myself? Those are the questions we really can answer definitively. Yes. We can't answer definitively what he's going to do or what's going to happen in the future. And we've seen that in our group where one person that, you know, she thought her husband would never quit and he's quit. And yes. she was just so surprised. And we don't know how our behavior will positively affect our partners. And trying to answer those questions early is just really an exercise in futility and frustration. Yes, and will lead to us being stuck and never starting and never trying. I think in Laura McCowan's book, Push Off From Here, I think that's the one that she talks about that we're very, we're horrible at predicting the future and predicting what will happen. I mean, I want to be Miss Cleo. I wish I could call that 1-800 number and Miss Cleo could tell me (laughs) for all my Gen Xers could tell me what the hell is going to happen. It just isn't possible. And generally, if your brain is anything like mine, generally the what ifs, it's not good. I'm not thinking, oh my God, what if he quits? And then um, we start a sober commune. <laughs> and then it's true. Wait, that, sounds, that kind of right. sounds fun. Uh, what if our marriage is more solid than ever? And what if we go on these amazing sober dates? Generally, our what ifs 
and our hypotheticals are the war- the worst. Right, right. Based on fear. Yes, based on fear. And it's sobriety can be taken over by what ifs, not just in the partner realm, but with everything. Yes. Do you know that quote by, I think it's uh, Mark Twain. He said, in my life, I've had many troubles and some of them actually happened. Yes. <laughs> you know, we just in our head about all the possibilities. It's terrible. Totally. And allowing the element of surprise, I think is such a beautiful thing. You know, I always talk about sobriety is a way f- that I was able to give myself a chance and to say, okay, let's see. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what my brain can do without alcohol. Let's see what my me- how my mental health is. Let's see what I how I feel. Let's give myself a chance to feel bad feelings and hard feelings and all of the shit in between. Like, let's just see. I gave myself a chance. And I fucking surprised myself because yeah. I was able to do all of that and more. And there's just something very wonderful about giving your spouse that chance. Even if there's evidence saying that they don't deserve that chance or they don't want that chance, but give them a chance to surprise you without you trying to control anything, you doing your thing. We we always say in my house, stay in your own lane. You got to stay in your lane because you have to focus on what you know and what you want. And it all comes back to that. Like every day, every minute, you're reminding yourself that. Yes, and as soon as you turn your focus from you to him, then, yeah, the questions, and then the lack of control and power. We have no power or ability to control what other people do. And we invite in a lot of distress when we try to do that. And I, you know, as a therapist, how many times did I sit in an office with, you know, a client and she's talking about her husband, or he's talking about his wife, you know, they're, they're just like, if she would just do this, or if he would just, it's like, yeah, but they're not here. They're behind the door. Whatever you say on this side has absolutely no power to affect anything on that other side of that door. And if you're focusing on that, you're completely losing your own power. And I like what you said, the analogy about the car, about taking your car in. Right. Like, yeah, in fact, my therapist said that to me because I needed this, this information. And he said, Susan, would you take your car in to get fixed and then tell them all about the stuff that's wrong with your husband's car? That's not the car that's here. They can't fix the car that's not here. And you can't either. And so what is the problem that you have in your life? What is the thing you want to do in your life? And work on that. And that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you're just like, I don't care what happens with him. I don't care anything about him. It's like, I am just going to work on my own stuff. And this comes back to the idea that you choosing yourself and what is good and healthy for you and sobriety and counting on yourself and all of the things that we've talked about in the 70 plus episodes, that is just never the wrong decision. It's not always the easy one, and easy should be in quotes here because what the hell is easy? Yeah. But it's never going to lead you astray if you continue to check in on yourself on how you feel and what you need. And we know that alcohol is a barrier to that. 
right? And alcohol muddies all of that. And so getting that out of the way, as long as you keep coming back to that, it's just never going to be the wrong answer. Right. And when we think about what story we're telling ourselves about when I drink with my husband, you know, what's the story we're telling ourselves? Well, we connect or we have good sex or we have fun or we're more relaxed or whatever it is. That is a lie. We think it's working. But if you take that out and then say, what am I really wanting with my husband? I'm wanting to connect. I'm wanting good sex. I'm wanting to have fun. I'm wanting to relax with him. You can do those things without the alcohol. Yes. And not only can you do those things without alcohol, alcohol gets in the way of those things. You guys, I don't know if you know this, but alcohol numbs all of our senses all parts of our body. Okay. So sober sex, can I tell you? Mom, I know you're my mom. <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> I know. Mom has well, I hope for you, on. you have great sex. <laughs> yes. But I, I mean, this idea that we've been taught that alcohol will make sex better. It's like, well, you literally can't feel. And I'm sorry, but for good sex, you got to be able to feel. And you can without alcohol. Yes. And so not only can you connect and have fun and have good sex and have all of these things that are just foundational for a good marriage, not only can you have those without alcohol, but alcohol is a barrier to all of those things. And you might be listening to this and you might be saying, okay, yes, I know that. I've listened to this Naked Mind. I've listened to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm on board. Like, I get it. My partner, however, doesn't. He, she is not where I am right now. And this is where you guys it's that b word i'm not talking about bitch i'm talking about boundaries <laughs> i feel like anytime boundaries comes up it's like oh boundaries right right i do have to set those right that's been on my to-do list <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. i've been meaning to get around to that <laughs> you know i've heard that term <laughs> yeah i keep hearing that term kicking around <laughs> and just with me when i'm talking about my sober journey that does mean that I have to set boundaries around myself and my journey, and I consider it a way to take care of myself and to protect myself in a loving way with my spouse so that he knows he knows not only what I need, but he knows how he can help me in my sobriety journey and how he can support it because him supporting me in my sobriety journey is a non-negotiable for me. It's, it's a part of me. It's the most important thing. P.S. He benefits from my sobriety, even though my husband isn't sober, even though even if your partner is not sober, your partner is benefiting from your sobriety, even if it's hard for them to see it. But so the boundaries that I've set, I mean, it is an absolute no that if he's had something to drink, we're not having sex. I think that feels that's a pretty common one when you have a sober mm -hmm. woman and a man who is who has had something to drink. That can feel very scary, right? And even if it's not a lot, even whatever, it's just a no. That's not happening. And, and he knows it, you know, I think that that I probably start with that one because that is very important. Yeah, and I shared a lot about the boundaries that I set when I talked to my husband in the conversation on the podcast. For me, I feel okay if he has two drinks and his drink of choice is beer, which I 
I think is a lot different than like two martinis. <laughs> I would yeah. not be okay with that. So two beers. Yeah. And, you know, I will say at first he did not like my boundary. <laughs> he was not a fan. My husband is very much like, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and I was, I'm like, yes. well, I'm. Uh, that's up to you. I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what I will accept around me. And so if you want to be around me, this is my standard. The thing about setting boundaries is it can feel mean, particularly if we've lived a life like uh, Laura Cathcart Robbins, yes. you know, where she she didn't have boundaries. She didn't have any sense of her own self or what she needed or wanted. And very often when we've been using substances, that has been our way to be in life. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Or just I don't. I don't push for anything. So setting a boundary, even a very clear and kind boundary can feel mean. And so mm -hmm. knowing that there's a way to, to say to your husband, I'm not going to have sex with you if you're drinking. I love you and I want to be connected with you and I want to have sex with you. But this is a no-go for me. So there are ways to do it where you where it's not so much a slap as just a hand up. No. So, yeah. So when we're not used to boundaries in our life, probably overall, doing it with in this context can feel really awful, but it's not. It's the most common thing we talk about in therapy regarding any issue is what are your boundaries? Well, because the ramification of not setting a boundary that doesn't mean that, okay, let's just go along to get along. That no. breeds resentment. That breeds bitterness, that breeds disconnection, which is the opposite of what we want. And so if we look at boundary setting as a as a goal to connect and like, yes, this is how I want to connect with you. You know, Jen Couch of the Sober Sis talked about when she goes on a date with her husband. And I do this too with my husband. It's an expectation of, hey, I really want to connect with you. And we know now in, you know, I've been sober three and a half years, we know that we connect without alcohol. The idea that alcohol is fast track to connection, now we know that that's a trick. I have seen it, and that is just a trick that it's, we've been sold a bill of goods. And my husband knows that too because he's lived it with me and he's seen it. And so it's like, I want to connect with you on this date. Can you do a mocktail with me? Can we plan on a fun mocktail together? And he has seen that it's still as fun. It's more fun. We're able to connect more deeply. And it's a great time. But that is all through experience. Yes. And I think when you say he has seen, I think that's one of the critical components to all of this is show and don't tell. Yes. And so, yeah, you want to set a boundary and, and tell them what that is. You have to speak that. But when you show the sobriety piece, if you're preaching to them, if you're, you know, on and on, that generally, as a rule, does not work. People don't want to be told what to do. People don't want to be preached at. And if we go at them about their drinking, what that does is it increases their resistance. I mean, this is true for anybody that you're trying to get to quit drinking or quit doing something. The more you go at them, it's like a muscle. Their their resistance just gets stronger and stronger. They've got their whole spiel on why it's not bad or why you're just a teetotal, you know, whatever yes. it is. They get really good at resistance. So the more you go at them, 
the less effective it is going to be. So the show, don't tell. Like even if that's not actually how they feel. Absolutely. Right? It's a reaction of like, hold on, I got to protect myself. I'm being attacked right now. No holds barred. I got to protect this. That's right. Even if inside they're saying... Oh, God, I, she's, she's, there's a little part of her that's right. There's no fucking way I'm going to say she's right right now because I got to fight this and I got to win this. Like there's no – because it's terrifying to try to be controlled, right? Right. And that is where the stages of change comes in so strongly yes. because the pre-contemplation really – I don't know who those people are, but they're not even thinking about it. Maybe they're the 20-year-olds <laughs> that are drinking. I don't know who those people right? are. I don't know that. I've never met them. They aren't even thinking about it. Yeah, they've never been in my office. I know. But I know. Pre- who are those people? I don't think those <laughs> – when you when it comes to drinking, those people I don't think exist. I sure don't see them. But so the contemplation, that is that that's such a rich stage because they are – as we all went through, maybe, oh, oh, gee, I don't know. Maybe I'll try Sober October. Uh, 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 and it's silent, right? The silent yes, questioning. Silent. Yes. I think that's the key part because when you when we think back to our drinking and our all of the, the shame cycle we talk about, it is never out loud. And it's rarely even spoken to our spouse. That's right. That's why that's one of the things that you're doing, the service you're providing so greatly is to to bring that into the open so people can talk about it. But so if yeah. you have a husband who's maybe yes, maybe no, and our role as therapists is to increase their ambivalence. And so just, you know, just like, yeah, I, I don't think you have any problem at all. It doesn't seem like it. And that allows them to say, well, you know, I, there was this time I blacked yeah. out or Yes, we don't want to therapize our husbands because that's bad. But if you think of it in terms of what stage they're in, the less you push, the more it opens this safe space for them to say, yeah, God, you look you look like you're so happy this morning and I feel so like shit. But they're yes. not going to say that if you're pointing out every time they are hungover. And oh, and you do not have to point out when they're hungover. That and it's so hard. Oh, I know how hard it is. It's just like you just want to say, "Hey, how's your head?" You know, and then they'd be like, "Fine, no, 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 it's fine. No, I'm all good, ship shape." Like you don't have to say anything. You just get up and go about your business. You go for a run. You do your morning routine, just feeling as good as ever, all hydrated, and they know. You, you can count on the natural the natural consequences. You can count on it. Yeah, you don't have yes. to be the one to supply it. It's going to be there. I mean that that does point to the idea that and and you know we speak generally. I'm speaking generally. I I speak about my experience, but women, um, wives, moms are the influencer of our homes. That's why we're being targeted by alcohol, because we make the decisions generally about what our home consumes, what we buy, what we bring into the house. We are a huge, very powerful market, right? Because we influence our community and our home. We are the nucleus. And so as an influencer, you know, I have some experience. Yes, you do. It is so much more effective if I am going to be on a reel talking about sobriety, wearing a new shirt, right? And then I will sell that shirt because people yeah. will say, oh my God, that shirt's so cool. Where is it? And I'm like, oh, look at this. I just happen to have a link and I'll send it to you. <laughs> Rather than me coming on and saying, look at this shirt, buy it. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's just not how we influence. And this doesn't mean that you manipulate 
But it does get to a point when, you know, with growth, and I think sobriety just brings up this just lovely, wonderful, uh, intimidating self-improvement, self-development phase. And if you're in that and your partner's not, that can feel really imbalanced and hard and and like you're going to outgrow your partner. And I don't think there's there's nothing wrong with kind of it's not manipulation. It's not it's it's what is it, mom? <laughs> well, I think I understand where you're going with this like so when we're we're getting all this personal insight because we've taken the substance away and now we're understanding more about our emotions, our needs, all of it. And even learning what the substance is, which which yes. our partners aren't there yet. So we just are further along on this journey. That's right. That's right. And for the mental health piece, core issues or things from childhood or any of that when we're so much farther ahead than our partner maybe really just sometimes sharing, this is what I'm finding out. I didn't know. For instance, again, I'm going back to Laura Cathcart Robbins when she said, she's the author of Stash. And we'll link that in the show notes since we're talking a lot about it. And if you have not read that book, read it. It was our book club book for June. And it's just incredible. And listen to that podcast episode too. So Laura had a really abusive stepdad. And so she learned to hide and to be quiet and to disappear because that was safer. But then she carried that through her adult years. So it was very important for her to do as a young child because it protected her. But it didn't protect her anymore as an adult. And she had to learn to change that and to be who she was and to speak up and be visible and all of it, validate herself. And so I'm sort of a, a far afield here, but the, I'll bring it back to why is it relevant now? Because when we learn more about ourselves and we share that with our partner, wow, what I'm learning is how I grew up is affecting our marriage. It's affecting why I wasn't sober. It's amazing to me that that is still here. And I'm learning about that. Now, that doesn't mean you say to him, and I think though you got some issues from your <laughs> and childhood. You know, you know, your, you know your problem <laughs> is. It opens up this idea that there's such gold, as we say, in knowing ourselves more. And as soon as we take away the substance, all of that stuff has an ability to breathe. And to mix my metaphors, to breathe and to come and to be brought to the surface. Yeah, it's it's so true. I, I think that, you know, in traditional gender roles, we, we've kind of grown up like thinking that, you know, that the man is the leader, you know, just the, the little woman, all of the, the 50s bullshit. And yes. at least in, in my marriage, I am kind of the emotional leader, the emotionally intelligent leader. And my husband just didn't have that vocabulary. He didn't grow up. You know, his mom wasn't a therapist. It's all of this stuff. And I think it's okay to be the emotional leader as a woman in the, in the relationship. And I think that that's a really good role. Mom, what, is that bad to say? No, I think that's really appropriate and valid. And then when we tie it back to sobriety, to be able to say, this yeah. is the richness of my life now, that I'm I'm really plugging into all the emotions, 
all the depth that was covered up by drinking. And I'm just so thrilled to share that with you, my partner. And you don't have to take the next step to say, and I think you should be doing some work. Right. No, Mr. you don't have to. You know, you, no. Actually, don't take that step. Yeah. yeah, that's right. In fact, that will create resistance. And so just showing, showing, and that's what as an influencer, Suzanne, you have done so wonderfully, is showing a sober life that's rich and wonderful. And we had a woman in the group on Tuesday saying that, like, this is a good life. And that sentence is so powerful. I'm not drinking, and this is a good life. Right. How lucky for our partners that they get to see up close and personal that sobriety isn't deprivation. They get that shining light in their house. And you might think that they don't see it. And it might take a while for them to see it. They might see it in different ways and it's it's not a linear path. But that doesn't mean you stop shining. That doesn't right. mean that you then dim all of this like wonderful stuff that comes through sobriety and you dim that just because it's not fully appreciated right now. And it might take time. And, and, and if it's not and if it doesn't and if it's not going the way you want – Just remember that we we don't know how things are going to go. I could not predict, even like four years ago, three years ago, that my husband would golf and not have beer. It was just movie and a popcorn. It was a foregone conclusion. There was no way he had done it for 25 years. There was just no way that would happen, right? I would say, no, that's crazy. You guys, that's happening, Yeah, that's happening. I would never think he would go to a work party and not drink and say, wow, I didn't have to drink and I didn't miss it. Like, I would never have thought that. Yes, yes. And that's what, as you say, the predicting the future is just impossible. And, you know, this all sounds really positive and really hopeful and and doable, but it's also damn scary. And so we really have to validate that it's it's very scary. And if you have a husband who's just absolutely resistant and doesn't even want to, you continue on your path, as Suzanne says, stay in your own lane, take care of yourself and have those boundaries and just be consistent and make sure you, you know, come to the groups and and really engage in the resources that you have to support you in that, because that is really hard. And the person you love most, and that is the most important to you. If they're if you're not aligned, it is really scary and it can be really sad. That's why you have people in your life who are supporting that. And that's why you you make sure you pay attention to the improvement in, for yourself of sobriety. Yeah. Well, and mom, I think that you talk from a very knowledgeable place because <laughs> you there we go, moms. We're gonna get personal. Yeah. I mean, if you're married to an addict, right? And and this is this is something that, you know, goes a step further than just if your husband is drinking, you want him to stop drinking completely, right? But I think it is a different conversation if you are married to an addict and then we talk about the codependency and like all of everything that goes into that. And you were married to an addict, which we haven't talked about before. Yes, I was. And that's what actually sent me into therapy. And I was in therapy for five years. So this was while I was getting my degree. So I know the pain of watching somebody that's just not not going to be different. And I learned so much about codependence and about taking care of myself. One of the things that we do when we're codependent is we, we set a boundary 
and then we move the boundary. Okay, so mm. you can't do that, but then they do that. And so then you move it a little bit. Well, okay, yeah, but don't do this. And so it takes a lot of strength, a lot of support, a lot of internal work to be able to, to stay strong. And, you know, it, in the end, it we got a divorce because it just, I tried yeah. for eight, eight years. Eight years is a long time. It was a long time. And even after, right? And yes. even after, because it's this idea of, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail at this. I can fix this. Why yes. can't I fix this, right? I can be better. I can be more. I can be different. I can save you. I'm the one you've waited for. All of that, right? Yes. Yeah. Let me save you. And of course, I, I had no power to do that. And it was just killing me. Uh, because I'm turning 70, I read through, uh, I took, I went to Door County in Wisconsin, and I took my journals, and I've been reading through them. And the torturous, uh, oh, you know, is just because I was trying, trying, trying. And I, because it was my second marriage, I didn't want to be divorced twice. So I divorced in 2001. So that's been enough for me. But yeah, so I do know the pain and the, um, this, the, how scary it is. But I will say that just an update, I'm doing wonderfully well, and he is not. And I could have sacrificed the rest of my life trying to get him to be sober and be, to be, you know, to yeah. leave his addiction. And he didn't, and he still continues. So, so I had to save myself. And so these stories don't always turn out wonderfully well. It's wonderful for me, though. I'm healthy and strong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're healthy and strong today. And, you know, I get a front row seat to that. And when you said tortured, that's what it was. I mean, yes. and, and sacrificed yourself. I mean, that's really what it was. And it was bad for you and you. And I don't know Jay so much. He was gone earlier or less. I don't know. But I mean, certainly he knew. Yeah. But for you as a young girl, I mean, it was just bad all around. And so I don't say these things lightly. Like you just need to set boundaries. And you need to take care of yourself. Right. I don't say that lightly because I know the strength it takes to do that. But I also know coming out of the other side, it's worth you know, what it took. Yeah, I know. It's hard because we can't tell you what's going to happen. Yeah, We can't tell you just if you work hard enough, your marriage will be intact. We can't tell you that your husband, your partner, your spouse will stop drinking. No one can tell you. And, and that's the hardest part when it's the most important relationship in our lives other than our kids. Right. But what we can tell you is if you take care of yourself, if you focus on being healthy for yourself, like Suzanne says, that is never the wrong choice. It's just never going to lead you astray. And your kids, we, we always talk about choosing an alcohol-free life. Do we do it for our kids? Do we do it for ourselves, right? That's what Laura Cathcart Robbins says. And yeah. sometimes I can't tell the difference, right? Like sometimes there's just... They were a part of me. They were born of my skin. And, you know, I was their home. And so I don't know. I just don't know if there's a difference. Somebody did say, you know, I, my therapist tells me I have to do it for myself. And that is true. But I, I don't, because we are not math equations, we are humans yeah. and we are, it's messy. And so one day it may be for the kids and the next day it may be for ourselves, and the next day it may be for the world. And so, yeah, I think trying to be definitive, that's not how we're made. 
No. And there's just no wrong, there's no wrong answer. It's what you feel. And so like maybe the impetus is for your kids and like improving that relationship. And then you realize, oh, wow, like you get in touch with yourself and it changes. And yeah, like that's, there's no wrong answer. Can I quote an Indigo Girls lyric? The less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to fine. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes we, it's messy. We just don't know. Yes. It's often messy. Marriage is messy, right? And relationships are messy. And even when we're on the a similar track, my husband and me, it's still, you know, Katie, my best friend, when she, she got married years before I did because she is way more mature than I am, even though I'm three months older. <laughs> yeah, she's an old soul. Yeah, she is an old soul. She's always been 40. Even when we were six months old, she was 40. (laughs) But I remember one thing that she told me about marriage, and she said, just remember that every day there will be something. And I was like, really? Like, that sounds horrible. And she was like, there will be one thing every day. And like, don't take that as a sign that it's it's not the right marriage or that he's not the right guy. And so I still think about that. I've been married 10 years and we get into a little like a little something sticky or just a tiff. And I'm like, oh, there it was. <laughs> That's the thing for today. <laughs> right. It doesn't mean anything more. It just means that this was not we were not aligned in this. And yeah. OK. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Keep it moving. Yeah. I like that. I didn't know she told you that, but that's that's really yeah. great. I know. I think about it all the time. Yeah. Well, I hope this helped. I, I know that it's not, yeah, there isn't a way to wrap it up in a bow, but just continue to explore your relationship with alcohol. Continue to seek out what it's done to you, what it's stolen from you, how you've used it to cope, and how you can choose differently this time. Give yourself a chance and let yourself surprise you. And the abundance of the of the sober life. It's a good life. Yes. It's a good life. Thank you, Mom. Let's do this again. I would love to. This was great. Thanks, sweet girl. Thanks, Mom. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.